Yeah, it's amazing to me the like I said, the amnesia, you know, the shit that happens, the shit that comes out, the shit that's done and you know, the next president, we just fucking forget it all. You know, I've seen it in my own short lifetime and all this is still well before I was born. Um so one of the things we haven't talked much about is the FBI is behind the scenes and growing. We got J. Edgar Hoover. So this is starting to, you know, phone tapping is starting to be a thing. Surveillance on citizens. Um there's getting to be more and more of a government reaction to all these poor people that are fighting the injustice. The government's organizing and figuring out how to put them down. Um, oh. And then we got Edward Bernays and his propaganda as well. Can I add really quickly? Yeah. Um, the FBI was created in 1935 from the Bureau of Investigation that was created under Theodore Roosevelt in 1908. Hmm. So, God, I wish we had more time, because there's the, especially with this time period, but... I've got a lot to talk about this next president. So after Roosevelt, um, we've got Harry S. Truman. Roosevelt died in office. Harry S. Truman was his vice president. He took over. In the late 1800s, um, little Harry Truman, there was a little boy. And as a little boy, he had thick glasses. And he was often bullied. Um, he even describes himself as being a sissy back then. He had a real tough guy father, you know, the kind of guy that would, like, just pick a fight with somebody and always show how manly he was. And... Um, Harry felt like he could never live up to his father's expectations. His mother even said, it's okay, Harry, you were meant to be born a girl. Oh, God. And Harry believed that. So Harry grew up with some real fucking self-esteem issues. Oh, God. Um, and he often referred to his, like, feminineness, his, uh, you know, made references to his womanliness. And this was a time that that was not a, uh, a complimentary thing. This was a very macho America, even more than it is now in a lot of ways. Um, he was always bigoted, and as he got older, and uh, he was an anti-Semite, he applied for a membership in the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, my God. He was denied. The only reason he was denied is because he wouldn't promise not to hire Catholics. Everything else he was fine with. Um, in 1934, loyal to the corrupt and sometimes violent Pendergast machine through the 20s and 30s, this was a political group that... Uh, just had their hands in all kinds of corrupt shit, dirty money, and were known to send people out to hurt people if they got in their way. Um, and this is what Truman joined to rise and through the ranks, even though it was said that Truman only participated as much as he needed to. He wasn't somebody who apparently, um, by the records, kept a lot of money for himself. Boss Pendergast picked Truman as his fourth choice, because everybody else turned down the job, to run for Senate. When someone asked him why someone as unqualified as Truman was picked, Pendergast replied, I wanted to demonstrate that a well-oiled machine could send an office boy to the Senate. Aww. Most senators shunned Truman as the senator from Pendergast. He was tainted with all this corruption. Truman once wrote to his wife, Bess, I think one man is just as good as another, so long as he's decent and honest and not a nigger or a Chinaman. Oh my Uncle Will says that the Lord made a white man from dust, a nigger from mud. Then he threw up what was left, and it came down a Chinaman. And that's what Truman said. This is Truman. Oh, my God. He does hate Chinese and Japs. Mm. So do I. Mm. I am strongly of the opinion that Negroes ought to be in Africa, yellow men in Asia, and white men in Europe and America. During World War II, before he became vice president, Missouri Senator Harry Truman fanned the flames of mistrust towards the Soviet Union, recommending... If we see that Germany is winning, we ought to help Russia. And if Russia is winning, we ought to help Germany. And that way, let 
them kill as many as possible. In 1944, when being considered for vice president, one of the strikes against him, aside from his connection to the Pendergast machine, was his propensity for putting family members on the government payroll. His wife, Bess, was the highest paid official in his office. He also hired his sister, Mary Jane. Truman also did not want the job. He desperately did not want the job. Roosevelt pulled this really crooked shit where he would promise the job to one person and then like not follow through with it and then like get another guy to think he was going to get the job and then not follow through with it and he basically kept like everybody just waiting and whatever he people thought that he was going to do he would do the other thing and when he said one thing he would do the other thing he was like the definition of a slimy two-faced politician i remember reading that it was so like he would use just the exact words like well if i were voting I would vote for you. But he never said if he would if he would just be the vice president. Like, you're the president. And people kept trying to co- corner him and say, look, just tell me if I'm going to be the person you pick for vice president. And Truman was getting more and more pressure to take this job, and he didn't want it. He was writing letters to his daughter saying, like, they're pushing me into this job. I don't want it. Oh, my God. Um, ironically, one of Roosevelt's advisors said to uh, Truman's credit that, one of the good things about him is no one has ever heard him say anything racist. This is the guy that tried to join the Klan. Uh-huh. Well, Truman became the vice president, and in 1945, with President Roosevelt obviously dying, everybody could see it. The, the hollows under his eyes, he was starting to be seen more in the wheelchair, which he used to h- try to hide. Vice President Truman did nothing to prepare himself. He received no briefings, he made no inquiries, he attended no meetings, and he took no proactive steps to prepare for the job he was about to inherit. He just accepted a lot of invitations to parties. It's almost like he was sulking. Like, he didn't want the damn job in the first place. Now he feels like he's stuck being vice president, and he's just like, screw it, I I don't care. I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to, oh, there's a party? I'll I'll show up for that. Mm. But... You know, as as Roosevelt's dying, um, Truman doesn't prepare, and then Roosevelt dies, and Truman becomes one of the worst prepared presidents in the middle of a, a world war in history. Now, this is something Truman gets a lot of credit for by historians, is how much he recovered. Um, and I guess that depends on how you interpret how he recovered. In 1945... Um, on the night of March 9th and 10th, Truman um, immediately sent 334 planes to attack Tokyo with incendiary bombs consisting of napalm, thermite, white phosphorus, and other flammable materials, which destroyed 16 square miles, killed over 80,000, and injured almost a million. Canals boiled, metal melted, people burst into flames. Secretary of War Henry Stimson told Truman that he did not, quote, want to have the U.S. get the reputation of outdoing Hitler in atrocities. Future Defense Secretary Robert S. McNamara agreed that if the U.S. lost the war, they'd all be tried as war criminals and deserve to be convicted. This is before the A-bomb. Oh, did they call, did you hear what the Japanese called that? Oh, go ahead. The Night of the Black Snow. No. That same year, 1945, the first A-bomb was successfully detonated on July 16th in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Alamogordo, I think. Alamogordo, you're right. (laughs) Alamogordo, New Mexico. So now we have unleashed upon the world 
a bomb that destroys cities and spreads radiation that causes all kinds of diseases. We still don't understand all the uh, the the side effects, the birth repercussions, defects. birth defects. Um, <coughs> and a little later that year, 1945, Truman was briefed about the A-bomb by Secretary of State Jim Burns, who told him, we are perfecting an explosive great enough to destroy the whole world. Oh, my God. That same year, 1945, Leo Zillard, Zillard, I don't know how to pronounce that, S-Z-I-L-A-R-D, got 155 scientists, Leo was a scientist himself, at Chicago's Met Lab and the uranium plant in Oak Ridge to sign a petition against the use of the A-bomb. Oppenheimer, who was head Heimer, who was head of the Manhattan Project, um, designing the bomb, blocked it from reaching Truman until it was too late. They tried to counter the petition by polling scientists themselves. They found that 83% favored demonstrating the bomb overusing it on Japan. Oh my God. The, those, these results were hushed as well. Prior to dropping atomic bombs on Japan, Japan's code had been broken and intercepted messages indicated that Japan might be ready to surrender if their holy emperor could stay. These were ignored. So Japan, since the 600s, had an emperor that they revered. They thought he was a divine entity. Um, To lose the emperor is to lose your life. There's no reason to live if you have failed the emperor by their customs. Now, after what happened to Tokyo, they were considering surrendering. You know, these were people that were huge warriors. Um, The kamikaze pilots, you know, they would willingly, very quickly, devote their lives to a cause they believed in. They'd fly their planes into ships. Um, But after Tokyo, I mean, this was horrific. And the pressures, and they were just thinking, you know, maybe it might be time to to come to some kind of terms here. I don't know if we can win this war, but we're not going to give up the emperor. The emperor is us. He's like our, our spirit, our core. So, These messages were ignored by the United States. One of the reasons the bombs were dropped was to occupy and defeat Japan before Russia. They knew that Russia had plans, as soon as Germany got taken care of and everything, to possibly go to war with Japan themselves. And if they did, they would have, you know, military bases. They'd have um, occupation in Japan. America wanted to beat them to the punch in a definitive way because we'd been after China for a long time in all of Asia. Um, we'd been fighting to maintain power there, and Japan has always been this huge lynch point. So, you know, when we discovered that, oh, wow, this bomb works, and we're the only ones that have it right now, we decided this was the thing to do. On August 6, a simple atomic bomb named Little Boy was dropped on Hiroshima, killing 150,000 people. Four days later, Fat Man was dropped on Nagasaki, killing 70,000. Now, I've heard about these two bombs, but five days after that, what official Air Force history calls the grand finale, a thousand planes raided Japan cities, killing many thousands of people, dropping leaflets among the bombs, not A-bombs, just the regular bombs they were already dropping, reading, Japan has surrendered. Truman announced the surrender before the last B-29 returned to its base. I mean, my God, we did that to Tokyo, then we dropped two atom bombs on them, and then we flew a thousand planes over there to attack more cities. Washington claimed that the reason why it picked Hiroshima and Nagasaki was because these were military bases, and they didn't want to harm any more civilians than they had to. 
This is fucking nonsense. An imbecile can see through this. These were cities. The vast majority of people who were killed were civilians, including American prisoners of war. They knew that many of the prisoners of war that had been captured from America were in these very fucking cities. They got nuked. Later that year, 1945, Truman understood um, the importance of maintaining control over Saudi oil. In August, Chief of, of the State Department Near East Division, Gordon Merriam, alerted Truman that the oil resources were, quote, a stupendous source of strategic power and one of the greatest material prizes in human history. So America's starting to look to the Middle East for oil, and we know where that goes. After World War II, America seemed to favor demobilization and disarmament. But the war not only put the U.S. in position to dominate much of the world, it created conditions for control at home. Keep in mind, this was a time with all these riots, all these protests, the Hobo Army, the Bonus Army. Now they discovered, wow, we just stumbled onto something, a way to control our own people. At the same time, we've got more power over the entire world than we've ever had before. The spoils of war brought enough prosperity, especially for corporations, to quell the rebellions of the 30s, only partly relieved by New Deal measures. So even the poor people were taking a little bump up, and it was enough that the riots, you know, were not as bad as they were before the war. Mm -hmm. Charles E. Wilson, president of General Motors, was so pleased by the wartime situation that he suggested a continuing alliance between business and military for, quote, a permanent war economy. The Truman administration worked to create an atmosphere of crisis and Cold War, posing the Soviet Union not just as a rival, but an immediate threat. Hysteria over communism was established, which permitted aggressive actions abroad that often restored right-wing dictatorships, as in Greece. Um, And Greece was actually having a big... um, conflict the United States got involved with, and Truman made his famous speech, which became known as the Truman Doctrine, Hmm. which was basically, um, among other things, saying wherever communism is, in other words, anything we label as communism, which translates to anything not in America's interest, um, we're going to go in and we're going to fight it. doesn't matter if it's what the people there want. It doesn't matter if it's anywhere near territory that we've claimed as our own. um, This is going to be American policy. Um, and this set the stage for repressive actions at home. Next year, 1946, we get the Battle of Athens. The McKinn County War is another name for it, in Athens and Etowah, Tennessee. This was a a rebellion by citizens, including World War II vets, against corrupt government. Um, They thought the politicians were corrupt in that town, and so they just rebelled and went and got rid of them. The same year, we've got the airport homes race riots in Chicago, Illinois, when temporary housing was offered for vets and their families during the post-war housing shortage. White women and the elderly began rioting against blacks in the neighborhood while the men were at work. We've got race riots in Columbia, Tennessee the same year. Um, Crimes against Japanese Americans in the West provoked Truman to write to Eleanor Roosevelt, who, by the way, was always writing him letters after Roosevelt, President Roosevelt died. She was all up in his business, like, oh, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. You should put the United Nations here. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? This is what Franklin would have done. And because she was the former first lady and so proactive, um, Truman felt like he had to respond to her and often had to write letters longer than the one she wrote to him. Um, So she wrote to Truman about an incident involving... 
um, American Zionist illegally attempting to take a boat filled with Jews to Palestine. And he wrote the incident was a most embarrassing one and expressed fear that the Jews are like all underdogs. When they get on top, they are just as intolerant and as cruel as the people were to them when they were underneath. Mm. The crimes against Japanese Americans in the West provoked Truman to write to Eleanor Roosevelt, this disgraceful conduct almost makes you believe that a lot of our Americans have a streak of Nazi in them. Which is, <laughs> which is pretty ironic coming from Truman. The year after that, 1947, there's the Fernwood Park race riot in Chicago, Illinois. Whites violently attacked blacks who had moved into the Chicago Housing Authority Veterans Housing Project to stop segregation in white communities. Keep in mind, these are our northern towns, Chicago, Illinois, and they're fighting segregation. At first, Truman scared the public over communism abroad, while Republicans did the same over communism at home. Hmm. Truman stole their thunder when he unveiled a program to root out subversives working for the federal government, which even Truman didn't really believe was a problem and would later come to regret. Um, A lot of politicians, a lot of people went down with this measure, and it was in their record. They could never recover. Truman mandated loyalty checks on all government employees. The Qs could neither confront accusers nor ascertain the basis of the accusations. Wrong views on religion, sex, foreign policy, or race could bring someone could bring brand someone disloyal. Hmm. An Interior Department loyalty board chairman observed, of course the fact that a person believes in racial equality doesn't prove that he's a communist, but it certainly makes you look twice, doesn't it? The same year, in 1947, Truman's executive order on loyalty required the Department of Justice to draw up a list of organizations it decided were totalitarian, fascist, communist, or subversive, or as seeking to alter the form of the government of the United States by unconstitutional means. Even sympathetic association would be considered disloyal. Hundreds of groups made the list, including the Communist Party, the Ku Klux Klan, the Chopin Cultural Center, the Cervantes Fraternal Society, the Committee for the Negro and the Arts, the Committee for the Protection of the Bill of Rights, the League of American Writers, the Nature Friends of America, People's Drama. (laughs) The Nature Friends of America made the list. The Washington Bookshop Association. (laughs) Oh, no, not a bookshop. (laughs) And the Yugoslav Siemens Club. Mm. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) 1947, the same year, the House Un-American Activities Committee held public hearings on communist influence in Hollywood. Testifying for the reality of the communist menace were Ronald Reagan, Gary Cooper, and Walt Disney. Many others denounced the witch hunts, including Humphrey Bogart, Gregory Peck, Gene Kelly, Lucille Ball, Frank Sinatra, Burt Lancaster, Edward G. Robinson, Lauren Bacall, Orson Welles, Catherine Hepburn, Pete Seeger, Henry Fonda, Benny Goodman, and Groucho Marx, among many others. My goodness. The paranoia was rampant because they had figured out if you keep the public afraid, which they had managed to do during World War II, let's find a way to continue this, this Cold War. And this, this is how we're going to control the American people. After all these years of rebellions from the Whiskey Rebellion with Washington, through all these fucking riots in the 1800s, we finally have got it. Thank you, Edward Bernays. We can hijack how people think. Let's keep them so fucking afraid that they won't even notice what we're doing anymore. And so this set the stage for the America we live in now. I find the Truman presidency to just be like, you know, I wish this was the whole podcast was on Truman because it's this is a dark turn in history. 
and it's so eerily familiar. And God damn, that dog farted again. <laughs> you know what? Jesus Christ. This is what I our feel air like is. I'm in a Nazi gas chamber right now. <laughs> oh, my God. This is what our air is now. All right. The same year, 1947, <laughs> five months after the hearings, Congress passed the greatest military reform in U.S. history. This is some scary shit right here. The National Security Act created the National Military Establishment, now called the Department of Defense, and the CIA. Truman himself feared that the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover could become an American Gestapo and that the CIA could become a military dictatorship. Although the act only authorized the CIA to collect, analyze, and disseminate intelligence, it also empowered them to perform other functions and duties related to intelligence affecting the national security. The CIA used vague wording to conduct hundreds of covert operations, including 81 during Truman's second term alone. The CIA is the epitome of this mindset of colonialism and, um, you know, the CIA is kind of the group that does the shit that the government can't own up to. 1948, Truman approved NSC-102, which called for propaganda, economic warfare, preventative direct action, including sabotage, anti-sabotage, demolition and evacuation measures, subversion against hostile states, including assistance to underground resistance movements, guerrilla and refugee liberation groups, and support of indigenous anti-communist elements in threatened countries of the free world done in a way that would always afford the U.S. government plausible deniability. A little later, Truman approved NSC-20, authorizing guerrilla operations in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. So when people talk about Russian interference in United States elections, Facebook, you, you fucking ignorant assholes, <laughs> like, learn something. Jesus Christ, if they're interfering with our shit, we've been all up in their shit. That's very true. God damn, quit playing the victim. 1948, Truman didn't expect to win re-election, but his cold warrior approach towards the Soviet Union coincided with the Red Scare sweeping the nation, the Red Scare that he helped orchestrate. A year after he won re-election, 1949, there was the Fairground Park Riot in St. Louis, Missouri at a newly integrated swimming pool. So this was a big thing that was spreading across the country they were trying. Let's integrate the swimming pools. The same year, the Anacostia pool riot in Washington, D.C. at a recently desegregated pool. After two days of tense confrontations, a two-hour riot involving 450 people resulted in five arrests and at least four serious injuries. Swimming is serious business. A little later, peak, peak skill riot in Westchester County, New York. Anti-communist riot aimed at blacks and Jews attending a civil rights benefit concert. 1949, the same year, there's the Inglewood race riot in Chicago, Illinois. Whites attacked other whites over rumors that blacks were meeting to take over their neighborhood. Over 13 injured. People were just losing their shit over paranoia. Um, If it wasn't the Russians, it was the blacks. 1949, and God help them if they fucking found Russian blacks. Mm, Black Russians. Black Russians. May 22nd, 1949, the first man to hold the job of U.S. Secretary of Defense. This was the first person that was ever the U.S. Secretary of Defense under this new military reform of Truman's. His name was James Forrestal. Oh, my goodness. He committed suicide. He'd been discovered in the street wearing his pajamas, shouting, The Russians are coming! He'd attempted suicide four times by hanging, 
slashing his wrists, and taking sleeping pills. Truman ordered a review of all of Forrestal's reports trying to ascertain whether the insanity had fueled the Cold War, Cold War propaganda or whether the Cold War propaganda had fueled the insanity. Forrestal was placed on the 16th floor instead of the first floor mental ward to avoid suspicion of his true condition. They didn't want the embarrassment, so they stuck him way at the top. Well, wait, you were telling me earlier that the, the ward for people who had mental illness was the first floor. Which made sense because if they were crazy, or quote unquote crazy, they wouldn't have far to fall. That's what I'm saying. That's why he was put on the 16th floor where he shouldn't have been. Right. Because they were trying to avoid embarrassment. They didn't want their the first head of the Department of Defense um, seen on the first floor of the mental ward, obviously going crazy. Instead, they stuck him up in the tower, the 16th floor, and like, oh, you know, maybe he's just you he's know just taking a, a break. Sick. He's just a little sick. Yeah, it's just protocol. Yeah. While copying Sophocles, I don't know how to pronounce it, Sophocles, the chorus from Ajax, he encountered the word Nightingale, which was a code name for a covert CIA operation he'd been involved in. He calmly put down his pen when he came to the word Nightingale and jumped through the window of the 16th story to his death. Another man named Wisner, also involved in that very same covert operation and other covert operations with the CIA, became infected with paranoia and psychosis. He received electroshock therapy, was institutionalized, and in 1965, he blew his head off with a shotgun. Oh, my God. So all this paranoia, all this fear that Truman was using to control the public, to sway opinion, to uh, dominate the planet, was starting uh, to get out of hand. Um, you get the feeling that even Truman is starting to kind of look around and say, holy shit, what have I done? It's like he opened Pandora's box and the, the genie wasn't going back in. It's still with us today. Um, you know, his very own people are starting to lose their shit. There's so much fear in the air. Um, they're jumping out of windows. They're blowing their heads off with shotguns. There's fucking bombs that like, um, are just blowing cities away. It's, (laughs) <laughs> that time period, I mean, it's just such a nightmare. <clears throat> in 1949, the same year, September 23rd, Truman announces, we have evidence that within recent weeks, an atomic explosion occurred in the USSR. Soviet scientist Yuli Karatun commented, in possessing such a weapon, we had removed the possibility of its being used against the USSR with impunity. It allowed our country to defend itself from really threatening mortal danger. So you got the fucking crazy batshit America with this horrible weapon that it already used. No other country in history to this day has been violent and sick enough to use this weapon against anyone else. America did as soon as they could, the first opportunity. So what does Russia try to do? It does their best to develop the bomb for the same fucking reason we did. We started developing the bomb because we were afraid Germany was going to get it first. When Germany abandoned their development, some of the scientists walked away and said, well, that was the whole reason I was working on it. I didn't want Germany to be the only one with it. But enough scientists kept working on it, sick fucking bastards, that we have it. So Russia did the same thing. Now they develop it, so they have incentive like, well, don't drop the bomb on us because we'll drop it back on you. I was going to jump in there whenever you're done. Yeah, as long as it's pretty quick. I got a lot to go through. Okay, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I mean... Nope, go ahead. All right. <coughs> Now, in this atmosphere, this was the year that 1984 was written by George Orwell, um, which I found really interesting. It makes a lot of sense. The next year, 1950, 
after Republicans blamed him for losing China as if we owned it. Truman bypassed congressional authorization, setting a precedent for future wars, and sent tens of thousands of troops to South Korea, calling it a police action instead of a war. MacArthur and members of Congress pressured Truman to use the A-bomb again on Korea, which he firmly refuses. Now, I find this interesting. He was so quick to use it in Japan. Some people say that he, because they were blocking information from Truman, he didn't realize what it was. <laughs> and now he's been briefed on radiation, on the extent of what it does. And, you know, he's got guys jumping out of windows and shit. He's, you know, this is a different Truman. It's almost like he's kind of like, fuck that. I'm not using that again. Now we got, like, Russia's got the bomb. We might kill each other. Like, no, no bomb. I don't care what's going on. I'm not dropping it on Korea. And all these people around him are saying, yes, use the bomb. So Truman firmly refuses. MacArthur defies orders by going into North Korea, which brings China in. So after World War II, they drew these little red lines all over the map that are like, okay, this is where we are. This is the land we claim. Even if it's not ours, it's going to be. It's just a matter of time before we go in there. Nobody can cross this line or that's an act of war. So fucking MacArthur breaks orders and he's in South Korea and he goes up into North Korea. He breaks one of those lines. So that did the very thing that Truman was trying to avoid, which was to involve China. Truman figured he could handle Korea and gain power and do all this ugly shit America does. He couldn't handle all of China right now. He didn't want to. Yeah, and remember during World War II, China was helping us because Japan was our enemy and it was also China's enemy. Yeah. And MacArthur, keep in mind, he uh, defied orders under Hoover with the... uh, the hobo bonus, the the bonus army. Um, He was a big part of World War II. So Truman had had enough of this asshole and he finally fired him. (laughs) Um, Troops bombed, napalmed, and shot women and children, leaving no house left standing from the capital of Korea to the 38th parallel. Many U.S. troops returned deeply traumatized. This was really an unpopular war. People were coming home really fucked up. <clears throat> you know, MASH, you watch that show, you kind of get a little bit of the feeling of uh, the residual feeling of just people kind of wondering, what is this crazy shit we're doing? Why are we here? Um, people couldn't believe what they had to do, what they felt like they had to do, what they were being ordered to do. And when they came home, a lot of people just never recovered. Historian Ada D. Donald said, the Korean War transformed the United States into a very different country. It soon had hundreds of permanent military bases abroad, a large standing army. For the first time, we've got a standing army. It's not about a war. It's about a war any time. We're always at war. And a permanent national security state at home. We can add to that a huge nuclear force and a penchant for invading foreign countries on little or no evidence of danger to the United States, and a government not always protective of civil liberties. 1950, we have the San Juan Nationalist Revolt in Puerto Rico, one of many uprisings against U.S. rule. Let's not forget, we're not just in Korea and Japan. Um, We're down there still, you know, the Monroe Doctrine from way back when. We're still fighting for control and manipulation of South America. So in um, Puerto Rico, there's revolts happening, trying to get rid of the United States. 1951... Um, we got the Cicero race riot in Cicero, Illinois. 4,000 whites attacked and burned an apartment building that housed a single black family. 
<laughs> wow. Meanwhile, the Barbary lion went extinct in 1950 in Africa. This was the lion that, like, I think Aslan is based on. It was the most magnificent, the biggest of the lions. Oh. Had a huge mane. Um, it was given as, like, a gift to, to royalty back in the day because of the way it looked. It was majestic. So it goes extinct in 1950. Um, a couple of years later, in 1952, the Caribbean monk seal goes extinct. This was a seal that used to be seen in America on some of the coasts. No more. That same year, 1952, Truman's approval rating is at 22%, one of the lowest in history. His popularity was so damaged by the Korean War. And that same year, in response to the alleged communist threat in Guatemala, Truman hosted dinner for Nicaraguan dictator Anastasio Somoza, who assured State Department officials that if the U.S. would provide arms, he'd overthrow our bends. But Truman reversed course when the U.S. involvement was exposed. Um, our bends was democratically elected, but he wasn't playing ball with the United States, so mm -hmm. we were about to try to fund this guy, Somoza, to... Uh, you know, so it didn't look like we were doing it, but, you know, maybe install a dictatorship that would play ball with us. And uh, Somoza's regime, that'll come up again during Ronald Reagan's administration in the future with the Sandinistas overthrowing the dictatorship. Mm -hmm. um, in 1952, as it was becoming clear that Eisenhower was going to run for office, Truman said of Eisenhower... The general doesn't know any more about politics than a pig knows about Sunday. Mm. The same year, 1952, also happens to be the year that Peace Pilgrim hiked the whole Appalachian Trail, Aww. 1952. Next year, 1953, MK Ultra is officially sanctioned by the CIA. The CIA was only around for a couple fucking years before MK Ultra comes out. And uh, <laughs> MK Ultra could be a whole podcast in itself, but just quickly... Basically, MKUltra is them experimenting on the American people with hallucinogens, with mind control stuff, with all this dark shit that Edward Bernays had kind of alluded to. They were like, well, let's see how far we can take it. Let's see what happens when we tear a man's mind apart. Can we make people do exactly what we want them to do? Can we shape the public into fucking zombies and the tools? MKUltra was some really scary, dark shit. And if you haven't heard of this word before, check it out. MKUltra. 1953, in the midst of all this, this atmosphere, this is when Peace Pilgrim begins her pilgrimage. She sets out for her many decades to keep walking for peace. And my God, with everything I just told you, <laughs> holy shit, you can see why she's motivated. Like, I could see escaping that way, too. I mean, not escaping, but just like, to hell with all this, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, we'd studied Peace Pilgrim, but now that I'm looking at it from another angle, like the presidents and this dark shit going on, it kind of makes sense on a different level to me now. So, like FDR before him, Truman refused to make lynchings a federal offense. Racist Democrats demanded that blacks be excluded from legislation that created unions, laws that set minimum wages, and regulated work hours, and from Social Security. Truman instated Indian termination policies as a final measure to kill the Indian and save the man, as well as easing the burden on the federal government, that poor federal government that's losing money to take care of these ungrateful Indians. So this program was incentive to go to the urban areas, to the cities, to leave the reservation, to leave their tribe. And now if you go and work, maybe you can send some money back. But it was a final tactic to finish this thing that had been going on for hundreds of years at this point, to break the power of the tribe. Now we're going to, instead of land allotments, because that didn't work as well as we hoped, where you own private land 
and you're kind of competing with your neighbor, how about you don't even have a fucking Indian neighbor? How about you just go and you become one of the mindless gray masses or red masses or yellow masses (laughs) or white masses because it don't make any fucking difference. We're all being shaped by the same clay. (laughs) I heard a quote real quick that uh, the the Indians, when they sent them to urban centers, it was a one-way ticket, but they, no matter what, a lot of them found a way to get back to the reservation to get out of the cities. Well, they're still trying to do it. Like, they're still trying to break the tribe. And in a lot of ways, I mean, the Indians have definitely suffered damage like the rest of us. But that tribal connection has been remarkably strong Yeah. considering the efforts that the entire fucking American empire has launched to break it for so long. Um. Let's see. My God, I had a lot about Truman, and I wish I could have talked more about some of these points. I'm trying to blast through it because there's so much. But within the first decade of this Indian termination policy, he had terminated more than 100 tribes. In other words, more than 100 people who had had tribal status before this now were no longer considered tribes. They're just people with Indian blood. They're not treated as a tribal entity. And defined, this defined policy for the next 25 years. Truman's huge military budget has been approved by both Democrats and Republicans ever since to this day. Wow. In 1963, Truman was being interviewed by a reporter. And I'll just leave you with uh, this final quote from Truman. He turned to the, the reporter and asked, Would you want your daughter to marry a Negro? Thank you, Harry Truman. Wow. Um, did you come across anything about, uh, it might have been named something else or just alluded to called Project Mockingbird? Sounds vaguely familiar, but I, I don't know. I think it was basically what you were talking about. I just underlined, um, from 1948 onwards, the CIA under Alan Dulles developed a program of media manipulation called Project Mockingbird, having a major influence over the media, including over 25 newspapers. And I also wrote down, you were talking about, like, Truman and joining the KKK and all the stuff about Nazis and everything. In July 1945, um, the predecessor to the CIA, the U.S. Office of Strategic Services, um, under the name Operation Paperclip, they started to recruit Nazi scientists, engineers, and spies. And it wasn't just... The Germans, it was also the Japanese. And I just want to say these two things. After the Japanese surrender in 1945, there were two units of experimentation that the Japanese had, two that I read about. One of them was Unit 731. This one was a Japanese biological experimentation center which performed human testing of biological agents against Chinese citizens. As many as 12,000 people, most of them Chinese, died. They also killed. Um, they also killed Russians. Oh my gosh! We took these scientists and we um, we wanted them to help us with our bioweapons. So we didn't charge them. We kind of saved them from war crime trials, and we incorporated them into our U.S. biological warfare program. The other unit was Unit 100. And they were conducting research on diseases originating from animals. At that time, as most armies um, were still heavily dependent on horses, 
the Imperial Japanese army hoped to find ways to kill them and therefore to weaken military power. Further, they hoped to spread disease via animal carriers. They actually would line up cows along the, was it the Russian border? And they would hope that if there was a, um, an action of war against them, they would inoculate the cows with a disease and hope that it would spread to the people that were their enemy. Yeah, Truman is now my uh, most hated president, and that's really saying something. Like, and once again, he's considered one of the better presidents by the ratings of what this country values. Uh, God. <laughs> Just God. 